0: Hello and welcome to Celebration Church. I'm Pastor Mark Gunger, the senior pastor here at Celebration Church. This morning, Deb and I are on our way cruising to Alaska on a uh, cruise sponsored by Focus on the Family. We're one of the speakers for their uh, couples cruise this year. And I'm kind of looking forward to it. I've heard that uh, cruising to Alaska is a beautiful thing. It seems a little odd to me why anyone in Green Bay would want to go somewhere cold for vacation, but they say it's beautiful, so... I'll let you know if that's true. Anyway, my brother Ed is here this morning, and he's going to be stepping in for me. We love it when Ed comes down. He is a phenomenal, gifted Bible teacher, so I know he has a wonderful message for all of us. So let me encourage you, open up your hearts, and welcome to the platform, my brother, Eddie. Howdy, everybody. Let's stand together. We need to pray for me. Um, I don't know if you knew this, but Mark um, is really my much older brother. At least 10, let's see, 10, 11, 12, 14 months (laughs) older. Father, this morning as we come to you, we come to your word with open hearts. And we're asking you to do what you need to do, what you do so well in our souls, how you shift things around, mess with us. We welcome that. And God, we pray that uh, you'll give us uh, your thoughts that will cause us to walk out of here in a way that makes you smile, in a way that changes our world, in a way that we can participate in your dream of making this place your home, where the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. We thank you, Lord, for it in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen? Go ahead and be seated. You know, following God would be a a lot easier if he wasn't invisible. (laughs) But he is. And there's so much about God that we do not understand. You know, um, there's some things we do understand. And we talk about them. We have the scriptures that give us some clarity. But don't be fooled into thinking you can really get your mind around who God is. Paul talks about God and he says his paths are beyond tracing out other words the way God does things the way he is he's too big there's not a big enough piece of tracing paper to trace him you'll never get your mind around God you can only sort of throw your mind into God and surrender to his awesome power his life Uh, we only understand pieces of him Uh, I love the uh, the the uh, orthodox church from the standpoint of, of some of their theology a part, a big chunk of their theology is they refer to as apophatic theology what that means is it's the unknowingness of God there's something about him there's something right about us approaching God and saying we don't get you but we're so glad you're in our lives it's almost, you know trying to get to know God is a little bit like staring into the sun it really is not, it, it doesn't help and you'll never really get it. And you can't really see it. And, and, and so the best thing you can do is just recognize the sun is there. And realize because it is there, you see everything clearly. So we don't, we don't really, we really can't stare at God very clearly in this dimension. But we certainly can, knowing he's here, see things more clearly, right, in our lives. And so it's very important that, there's, that we cultivate and engender a kind of humility. That we say, God, when we come to you, is we say, God, man. God, <laughs> we love you, and we honor you, and we praise you. Even in our relationships with one another, uh, we need to remember we don't totally get each other. I've been married to Gail for 30 years. Gail, stand up, baby. <laughs> Honey, you better obey me right in front of all these people. So you stand up right now. Because you show them how we do in our house. You stand up right now! <laughs> yeah, well, praise the Lord. <laughs> but... Uh, uh, there you go. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> uh, so you know, just the other, just the other day, I'm talking to her about something, and I, I've got this presumption. You know, I've been, we've been you know I've known her for years, and I'm thinking she does this way because of something. My presumption, and so we were we were chattering about it, and I, and it dawned on me that my. I assumed she was doing something for some reason that for years, she wasn't doing it for that reason at all, I was surprised, see we surprise each other, our children, when you raise your children, they surprise me, I talk to my sons, and, and find out you know, how they viewed an event that took place in the family, and, and their perspective, and I go, you know, it's like, are you in the same family, Just it, because they're so different, how people visualize things, even myself, I run into things myself, I, I'm still trying to figure out me, Right? So if that's true, if there's that much complexity in the human condition, how much more with God, who has no beginning, who has no end, who's who who isn't here and yet he's here, but he's not just here, he's outside of here and here. Right? so there, there needs to be this kind of sense when we come to God that we don't try to just nail it all down or when we're talking with people that we come across as though we're the experts and if you listen to people on radio and television if they come across as experts just kind of smile and say you're an idiot right now but that's okay there's something you're saying that might work right? there ought to be kind of a humility in our souls not a hubris of we got it all figured out in our little group amen and one of the issues that, that comes to bear here is the will of God the will of God for me, kind of a gnarly thing trying to figure that deal out. How exactly does that work? And, and I, what I think we are at fault with in this context of the will of God is that I think that we always are thinking the will of God is something that we do or some, uh, or what is going on more than we think of it as how we are to live a pattern of life. Uh, that we tend to make it external When in reality, I think much of the will of God is much more about being something internal. When we talk about marriage, well, is it God's will for me to marry Harry or Peter? You know, I don't know if it's God's will so much that you marry Harry or Peter as much as it is that you learn how to be married to Harry or Peter. Right? Or, or when people talk about their jobs well what does God want me to do in my work you know I, I was praying and I heard a word but it wasn't even a sentence it was just a word it was McDonald's <laughs> but I don't know if it's McDonald's or McDonald's Douglas I'm trying to figure out what it is you know <laughs> And, and sometimes we think that the, that the will of God for work is a, the place we work instead of realizing. I mean, even though that might be true sometimes, the, the, the huge part of the will of God for work is not where you work, but how you work. Because if you don't work well at McDonald's, God doesn't want you to work well for, or work at McDonald's Douglas. It doesn't matter because you're just representing yourself. So it's the how, but when we feel sometimes our lives are south of stellar and we feel like, you know, we come to God in faith and we come to God and say, God, would you move in my life? Most of the time when we ask God to move in our lives, we're usually trying to say, fix my externals, not understanding that if God's going to move in your life, chances are he's going to mess with you. He's not, you know, God fixed my marriage. He's going to talk to you about how you think about marriage. God, do something about my single life. I hate my single life. God's going to deal with you about how you approach your single life. God, I need you to touch my money, which means give me more. What <laughs> God may touch you and say, why are you buying stuff every time you get depressed? See, what's going on in your soul? See, God is more interested in you than what you do. Right? And so he's gonna he's gonna deal with you. He's not just gonna fix stuff, he's not just gonna give you a new job, he's not just gonna kill your boss for you. <laughs> See? You know, especially as charismatics, you know, um I used to define my faith by the extra God, external blessings that came into my life, you know, whether it was a healing or miracles or financial provision or something, you know, the idea was more. God do more for me than for those pagans. And so when they see the more in my life, then those pagans will say, "How come you got more?" And I can go, "It's because you're a pagan. You need to be like me." All right? Instead of understanding that that really, I don't think Christianity is so much about getting more as it is about Living in a way that ascribes to God the good that's in our lives. That we stop and say, because I have breath today, God gave me that. You know, Apostle Paul would go into the pagan world and at one point he's coming to these guys that are all whacked out and they, he, he does a miracle, Paul does a miracle and uh, they think he's Zeus, you know. <laughs> so they start trying to get offerings. They're going to sacrifice to Paul and they start trying to worship him. Paul's going, no dudes, you know, don't do that. He says, I'm a person just like you guys. And he said, he said, I'm here to declare to you God Almighty. And he said, listen to this, God has not left himself without testimony. See, God testifies. See, God has not left himself without testimony in your world. And here's what he said. He's the one that's given you all the harvests that you have. He's the one that sent the rain and the sunshine. Listen to this. He's the one that has given you all the good that you know and the joy that fills your heart. In other words, what he was saying was, God's the one who makes you laugh. God's the one that helps you to fall in love with someone and and you have babies and you hold those babies, you love those babies or anything that you smile at or anything that's good in your world. Every time you taste a a sandwich and it tastes good, the reason it tastes good is because God's the one that gave good into the world. And he's saying, that's God's testimony to us. See, what we have to do as believers, what Paul came to do is say, look at you've been ascribing the good to God's and to yourself and to your own efforts. He said, but it's time to repent and acknowledge God is the one who's given you all the good that you know. See, a big part of Christian life is not getting more. It's learning how to do with what we have. It's learning to celebrate and love and enjoy and grab the day and seize the day carpe diem and you know, squeeze all that stuff you can out of it just to savor life. That's it. It's not, you know, you have faith so the doggone it, you know, life pretty much stunk for you. But now you got faith and now God can maybe up it, give you some more stuff, maybe win the lotto. (laughs) Praise the Lord. (laughs) The title of my talk today (laughs) is Living in Balance. (laughs) And the reason I want to talk about this It's because I think that how we live is really the currency God's after in your life. That you matter. That you're not just an accident in the world. According to the scriptures, the Bible said you were in God's mind before the world began. That he chose, according to Acts, the time in history in which you would be born and the place in the world in which you would be born. You know what that says? It says you're not an accident. You might have been a surprise to your mom and dad. You were not a surprise to God. And God intentionally, the Bible says, fashioned and formed you. He's the one that gave you the, 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 work, the personality that you have. He, he was the one that caused you to be the one that would cry about certain things, laugh about these things. It's all of those internal workings because you are on purpose for Him. You're not an accident. You are a dream come true by God he is not holding out on you he is for you he doesn't want you comparing yourself to other people thinking well if I was really God's hand was really on me I'd be I sure I'd be the next American idol but I'm not I must just be a drug you know nothing not realizing God made you like you are on purpose to fit you in places where nobody else will fit those weird in-laws the reason that you're related to them is because God loves them enough to help them somehow which he sent you to do (laughs) say but I don't want the job well honey that's the problem. Repent. <laughs> Take yourself more seriously. Quit trying to be something you're not. Quit trying to get God to wiggle his nose. You, wiggle, you know what I'm talking about. That's an old one. Bewitched. Yeah. Quit trying to make God change your world. Let God touch you in such a way you change the world. And you become salt, which in the ancient, you know, before refrigeration, salt was what prevented rot right? So that when you go out into your family, it's just things are less rotten, <laughs> right? You go into the marketplace. Things are not quite as rotten when you get there. Your boss keeps wanting to get you to cheat, but you don't cheat. Arr, you're not rotten. He gets mad. Right? But that's all right. You're not going to rot. You're there to be salt. And not only to prevent rot, you're going into the world to make life tastier. Notice how salt makes things tastier. So, you're to go in there, so when you show up on the job, people are going, ah, oh, just taste better when you're here. When you come to some event, you just taste better when you're there. You know how many Christians don't taste better? You know how many Christians are just like pointed nose, long, pointy heads? <laughs> Makes a guy want to go to hell. <laughs> just to stay away from you. But if we learn how to live, how to empower, how to care about people, how to be around people, we make the world tastier, we prevent rot, and we come as light that dispels darkness. That's God's dream. That's more God's dream than where you live, what job you have, how you live. So I'm talking about a life in balance. I'm not talking about external balance where you're trying to make everything predictable and in the right place. We're talking about an internal balance, where you where you aren't in control of the circumstances, but you do well in them, because you approach it internally rightly. You know, like a snowboarder can't control the mountain, but he or she can ride the mountain, and he or she doesn't fall if she, he or she balances well, right? Or or someone that's water skiing, you can't control the water, but you can learn how to respond internally so that when things change, curves come, jumps hit you, you survive, right? That's the kind of balance we're talking about. See, the reality is you'll never control life. Life is full of these vicissitudes, these changes that hit us right in the face. I mean, right about the time you think you have some balance and some control going on in your life, (laughs) something's going to change just the nature of the beast. I mean, just when you got used to being single, you end up falling in love and getting married. Just about the time when you got a pretty good marriage relationship going, she gets pregnant. Kids show up. What do you do now? Punt. You get a good rhythm going at work, and something somewhere will change. The market, the clientele you're dealing with, you know, Uh, new office procedures Uh, something's going to change that's going to mess you up and you've got to make a decision how are you going to respond then there are those blasted life changes that hit us shifts I mean things like where you eat less and grow more (laughs) has anyone noticed that you get that Dunlop disease where your belly Dunlop's over your belt then there's the dreaded midlife crisis. Empty nesting. We're just going through that empty nesting right now. And you, know, you have this ambivalence. You have this confusion. Because part of you goes, yeah, I'll let him go. Another part of you says, oh, please keep him. Another part of you says, oh, let him go. Pray the dog dies too. <laughs> right, so you got this thing going on. So it's confusing, right? And then you've got, you've got health and aging issues. What? <laughs> Menopause. Prostate swelling. How many times can you go to the bathroom at night? Just catheterize me for crying out loud. (laughs) Sorry. Seems like, you you know, whatever you feel like you got some control in your life. Life has a way of sort of changing the rules. And the only thing that's really sure is change is on the way because we all live in this millstream of transition in our lives. So how do you go about balancing in a topsy-turvy world that you cannot control? Well, I think a huge leap to that end is learning how to get a balance, a delicate balance between work. Everybody say work. Rest. And play so that's what I'm talking about, I'm talking about getting that balance let's talk about work first Paul addresses work in Ephesians chapter 6 and he says serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving God, the Lord, Jesus not people because you know that the Lord will reward every person for whatever good he or she does whether they're slave or whether they're free, see note note what Paul is suggesting here, he said listen First of all, you need to serve wholeheartedly. Now that sort of pushes off against the idea that you're not supposed to work commensurate with what you're paid. I'd work more if they paid me more. That's not a Christian comment. The way a believer walks into his or her world is they say, you know what, if I've taken this job, I'm going to do this as if God asked me to do it, whether I'm paying, being paid minimum wage or whether I'm being paid paid an outrageous amount of money, that is irrelevant to the way I approach this job. I'm going to approach this job wholeheartedly. Listen, family. If Christians could ever get into their souls how to work biblically, we will rule the the world of commerce. Because most people that work wholeheartedly are working for money and they're so spent and so pushing that they end up destroying their own lives as they try to consume the world. we don't have to do it like that. We can just do it wholeheartedly because we love God. And the reality is, he also makes the the point here, that, that if you serve wholeheartedly, you're to do it to God, which means there's a sacramental element to it. In other words, you know, it's like when we do communion later in the service. We're going to have some bread and we're going to break that and put it in our mouths. And then we're going to have some wine. We're going to drink that, put it in our mouths. The, The reality we get is that we're not, this is, it isn't like the church is saying, let's go out to lunch. Because if you just have that piece of bread and that thing, you'll just think, oh, they're cheap. I'm still hungry. Right? You don't think that way. What are you thinking when you pick up that bread? You're thinking it's more than bread. When you pick up the bread, you're thinking, when you break it, you're thinking, this is more than just break. This is is the body of Christ. This speaks to something beyond what it is. And it isn't more than that. It isn't that you're thinking, this is the most amazing bread in the world. It isn't. It tastes a little like it was made the day after Jesus died. (laughs) Right? You don't go home, your husband goes doesn't go home and says, can, can we get some of those and put like peanut butter and jelly in between them and stuff and just eat those up? They're so good. Now you don't you don't you don't relate to the bread as though it were bread. You don't trash it because you go, oh, What's this? What is that? Piece of bread You don't do that, do you? That you put it in your mouth, even the little non-taste cardboard thing? chewing it down and you're going you guys get to use wine you know back in i'm in oklahoma if you used wine they'd die uh but you know you so we use this grape juice that isn't even really grape juice it's sub juice sub grape it's like it used to be grape juice you know it comes packaged and it's actually like mcunion it's like a little little wafers on the top you peel back the wafer and then you open up the little piece inside it's like a like a uh, uh, like for cream, you know, for coffee. So you pull that back and you, oh, it's, you have to take communion by faith, or we, <laughs> just so it doesn't kill you, right? So here's the point. Nobody trashes it thinking to themselves, is it, this isn't worth it, this isn't any good. Why? Because you're so honed in on the fact this has nothing really to do about the bread. I mean, it does, but it doesn't. It doesn't have really anything to do about the cup. It does, but it doesn't. It's so much more. What Paul is saying is when you walk to that workplace and you click in, or you go to that workplace and you walk in that office or you go out on that job, when you step on there, you realize you're not stepping onto a job. This is so much more than a job. You're stepping into the will of God where you're doing what you do as unto the Lord, and you do it wholeheartedly. You don't work for money. You don't work. You don't care what the politics is going on. You are it's just any more than you would care about the, examining the You Say, I'm not doing communion this week because it's just not right. No, you you give yourself wholeheartedly in that moment of sacrament and Paul is saying, your work is a sacrament. So how are you doing? See, if you want to have a balanced life, if you want to live in a way that you become salt and light in the world, you've got to look at your work life. Nothing is said interestingly about this, about money. There's no hint, which means that when you work, that money, you ought to look at money really as the grace of God and a a blessing, thankful thing, but you and I as Christians are never to work for money. (laughs) There I said it, I said it right in front of everybody. You're to work as unto God and receive the check as a blessing from heaven with thankfulness. Say, well, what if they don't take care of me? Listen, if you work for God and you work with all your heart and those people don't pay you what, you're, what you deserve to be paid, the Bible said. The, the verse actually goes on to say after it says, you work wholeheartedly unto the Lord. He says, and God will reward you. That means if you're in a wrong place where people aren't taking care for you, uh, of you and you're working as unto God, if they don't take care of you, God will open a door where you will be taken care of and you will be promoted and you'll smile because God was in the mix of it. this promise to us which means that sometimes you can it might mean choosing jobs that don't make as much money but you feel are so congruent with your soul's longings right finding how to work well then he talks to employers he says and masters treat your slaves in the same way these are ancient language so you have to sort of rejigger it to figure out what he's saying so he's saying bosses treat your employees in the same way don't threaten them Since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, there's no favoritism with him. What's he saying? He said, if you're a boss, you ought to go in there and you ought to thank God. Help me represent you. This is my sacrament. This isn't just me trying. It's not just a bottom line. It's not not just about bottom line. It's about bringing good into the world and helping people and honoring you. Right? And the Christian needs to think about it differently. In other words, God talks about work because work is important to him. He's the one. And it wasn't the result of the fall. Remember, Adam was working in the garden before the fall. It wasn't like sin came into the world because they were all on vacation in Hawaii. And then sin came into the world and God says, well, you're going to work. He understands that good working is a part of healthy living. And work was part of our call. And it's a learned skill. Some are good at it. Others are bad at it. If you don't work well, work gets toxic. Say, what does working well look like? It looks like doing what you do to God. It looks like working for more than money. But it also looks like falling in love with your work. It's important that you love your job. Now, don't misunderstand me. I often hate my job. But it's not really the job I hate. It's that I'm being a punk that particular day, and I'm being selfish that particular day, and I'm stupid, and nothing on the planet will make me happy that particular day, much less the job I have. I'm tired, I get burned out, I'm offended, I'm disappointed, mad, bored, stressed, all that kind of stuff. But those are the times I hate the job that I love. See? In my early years, I just had jobs, and 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 uh, because I was just trying to get. My paycheck, right? Uh, now I do what I, wouldn't, what I would do if I didn't get paid, although I am very thankful. I get paid. Right? I love my job. It's a great job to love to hate. <laughs> From time to time, right? See, if you don't love your job, you either need to find out how to do it differently so you love it, or you need to get a different job. Bottom line. Uh, the Greek philosophers used to talk about about work and they said that a person needed to work in a way that was congruent with his own soul or her own soul. And they used a term. The Greek word was the Greek word ergon. And what they basically says, you need to get your ergon. <laughs> you need to find the thing that resonates in your soul. He, they say that the the ergon of a hammer, for instance, is when a hammer hammers. You try to take a hammer and make it into a screwdriver, it's out of sorts. But it hits its ergon when the hammer hammers. A a saw hits its ergon when a saw saws. And what they said was, what's your ergon? What are you designed to do? If you listen to what's in you, if you fight to maintain integrity with your own inner ergon, your own inner creative unity, uh, life will become more of a celebration and less of a dread for you. That's the way God designed you. Many people live in the land of the suck." Because they just walk at life and work in a way that they're just thinking the externally, external changes will make me happy. They come to a job and they say, well, it's because this person, these people are in here and it's because they're asking me to do this. And, and they're, they're thinking in their minds that it's all the external stuff that's going on around them and not understanding. It has nothing to do with that. If you had everything perfect, you'd still be sad. Happiness doesn't come from the externals Happiness comes from what's going on inside you It's you making sure that you live in sync With your inside That you have. That if you're not careful you'll, you'll, you'll live with a fundamental distrust of yourself And you'll end up living in a place Where you're just trying to change everything Instead of rejiggering in your soul You can only work well when you love your job Which means again That some of you maybe having to get jobs or getting involved with jobs where you don't make as much money and isn't that something in our culture because we're in a culture that buys into the idea that money is the end game of all success and 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 we're duped by a consumerist society that tells us the more we have the people that are are the happiest are the people that have the most the people that are the most important are the people that have the biggest toys And we buy into that. And I understand that we buy into that. I mean, if you walk up to a... If you you pull into a gas station, you've got an old beater and you're filling up with gas and somebody pulls in with a Rolls Royce, people just... They're going to look. Why? On some level, you're going to think that person is more important than I am. Why? Because they got better stuff. So I understand that that's the way the world works, but we are not of this world. We're not of this world. At some point, we've got to push off of it and say, I'm not going to be conformed to that. I'll never forget, uh, you know, years ago when I was, we were pastoring in, over in Marshfield, Wisconsin, and uh, I got a great deal where I was driving this really cool Volvo. It was a sweet car, little black car, sweet. I'm driving that thing. I enjoyed it. It was a really nice car. I drove it for a few years, and then it got time to buy another car. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, what else do I want to get? I've got to at least get a Volvo. Maybe something nicer, and I remember catching that thought in my head, and so I said, "Uh uh-uh, uh uh uh," uh-uh. so I went out and I bought this scaled down, and I'm not against Fords, but it was a scaled down Ford, like a what do they call those little? Some of the, it was what did they call it? A little Escort. It was a little Escort. This little, I mean, from this nice luxury thing to this Escort, and I can, you know, the reason I bought it because I wanted to torment myself. <laughs> I wanted to beat that thing out of me that needed to have something more better because then I'm important. And I kid you not, I was driving that little escort around for a few years and I'd run into old friends that saw me in my cool Volvo and they saw that and they're going, everything okay? (laughs) See, sometimes you got to do weird stuff just to straighten out your head. And then after I got rid of that car, I got myself another Volvo. Good. (laughs) But it was okay then. It's just because I wanted it. <laughs> Not because I had to have it. Right? There is a difference. huh? Stuff's okay as long as stuff doesn't have you. Right? See, you have to answer this for yourself. Where does stuff fit into my life? Just how happy does stuff really make you? Or is it more the pursuit of it? You know? Jesus spoke weighs in on this point he says in Luke 12 he said then then he said to them watch out be on your guard against all kinds of greed a person's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions right working well also means you bring meaning to what you do which means sometimes you've got to stop and think about it and ask yourself the question what good is coming to humanity and it may be just a simple simple thing let me read one little quote to you from Anthony, Anthony Campolo he writes about his cabinet making dad When I was a boy, my father worked at the RCA factory located in Camden, Camden, New Jersey. His wages were so low that it could be said that he was exploited. My father was a cabinet maker back in the days when cabinets for radios were made by hand. While he worked for starvation wages, he did something. He did get something from his job that was more important than money. He got psychic gratification from his work. He felt alive when he fashioned things of beauty out of wood. For him, what he produced was an extension of his ego. There was something mystical about the way he imparted each cabinet that he built, the idea that it was his. In some strange way, they were his. He would not get the profits from constructing them. He would not be given the recognition he deserved for his craftsmanship, but he got something more. When our family went visiting, which which in the pre-TV era was a major form of entertainment, dad would look for the radio in the house. If there was a console that was of his vintage, I would be given the responsibility of investigating. It was my assignment to get behind the big upright console and to see if my father's initials were inscribed on it. My dad always initialed the backside of the cabinets he built. After all, he made them. So in his mind, they were his. On two different occasions, I came across his initials. And when I did, he basked in silent self satisfaction. And I had the feeling that I had the most creative, ingenious father in the world. End quote. Bringing meaning to your world. Work does not have to be debilitating, soul destroying, rat racing. It can be something more. You can find meaning in it. I need to hurry and shut up. Learning to work is great, but the other thing you need to do is learn how to rest. Everybody say rest. rest. You remember the ancient Hebrews called it something different than rest. What, what do they call it? Sabbath. Sabbath. It's one of the big 10. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Even God got in on it. He, after he created for six days, he what? He rested. He Sabbath. See, the problem is rest has got a bad rap in our culture. When was the last time somebody patted you on the back for taking it easy? Right? We're a, we're a people with production mentality. Our culture admires the movers and the shakers. We applaud those who do 80 or 90 hours a week working, plus serve on civic boards, plus coach their kid's soccer team, plus sleep only five or six hours a night. These guys are the champions, right? Yet rest is just as important in God's economy as work. In fact, most of the stress-related illnesses in our culture today and the general decline in mental health in the West has been credited to the roots of the fact that people are rest-deprived. We're not just talking about sleep. We're talking about rest being something where you have time to reflect, where you stop, where you, where you listen to your soul and listen to the silence where you get past the PDAs and the ringing phones and the computer emails but you step out and see something more the creation see rest is not an option you will rest it'll either be something that you learn to do or something that you will learn through some kind of rest enabler like a heart attack or an emotional breakdown And then you'll be forced to rest. Either way, you're going to rest. I prefer to choose when. When you choose... Rest, And I'm t- again, I'm not talking about more than physical recuperation. This is the time when you forget your problems and life's pressing demands long enough to remember who you are, who God is, and why it is that you do what you do. Rest can be snagged in snippets. It doesn't have to be a whole day. It can be a few minutes of solitude. In the midst of a hectic day, you've got the five jelly-faced toddlers scraping at the door of the bathroom and all you have is 45 seconds or they'll kill themselves. And so you shut the door and you just put your face on the sink and you say, God, thank you, I'm not killing myself today. (laughs) And you just think a minute, thank you. You praise him. You take a snippet. It might be that that you go outside for a 50-minute walk and just enjoy it might be a time when you pause through the rough and tumble of the day and you remember a special moment from the past that's why you're having pictures of your family in your office or wherever it's wonderful to stop and try to remember when was that picture taken and you'll find that if you just stop and think things like that you'll feel renewed emotionally, spiritually and even physically learn to find rest if you don't life won't nearly be as much fun and that's my last point fun here's the last thing I want to tell you We need not only to work, not only to rest, we need to have fun. We need to remember how to play. Everybody say play. Play. Work-oriented society, play has also been discredited. We play, but more often than not, we're really not playing. Our play is more of just really another form of work, right? We try to find some kind of productivity from it, you know, doing something both fun and educational, doing something both fun and good exercise. But that's not play. That's work masquerading as play. You want to know what play is really like? Play is its own reward. The best, I think, example of play is portrayed by children at a public swimming pool on a hot August afternoon. What are they doing? Nothing! Just. What are you doing? What do you mean? Marco! Marco! Is it a history lesson? No! It's just play! Just play. It takes effort and discipline to play once you turn 21 and start paying car payments. It's one of the first things to go is play then rest and you just work into the grave right praise the Lord make sure you pay those tithes so. but re- play is critical Zorba in the book Zorba the Greek cries out boss you've got everything except one thing madness a man needs a little madness or else he never dares cut the rope to be free, End quote see madness, playing is madness playing is cutting the ropes that keep you bound to the rigorous demands of a work oriented world see what do you think of when you think of play? tennis, water skiing picnic, golf, volleyball in the park Whatever, whatever. just remember that one person's play is another person's work. When I go play, I, the most I like to do when I play is I like to drive the boat. That's play to me, drive the boat. Where are you going? Just driving. And i pull the kids on the water skis, they love it. And then sometimes they'll go, Dad, why don't you get on the water skis? I think, you oh, you don't get it. That's not play to me. Getting on the water skis, that's... I hate getting on the water skis. I mean, you know, I'd rather. I'd rather pick up a bunch of rocks and move them over to there and then go back and move them back over to here. Isn't that fun? It's like, like deep sea fishing. You know, some people love deep sea fishing. I hate deep sea fishing. Look, some of my friends took me out there and I'm basically pulling rocks off the ocean floor. These 50, 60 pound fish that are just like, you got one. Yeah. yeah. Pull it I'm trying. 45 minutes later, my body is hurting. And I pull up this big fat something. I don't even know what the heck it is. You want to let it go? Let it go! I want to sell it! I got to get paid for what I'm doing here. don't you let anybody talk to you what play is you find out your own play and you play well (laughs) Paul Thigpen, I'm almost done Paul Thigpen says real play as opposed to work masquerading as play is characterized by self forgetfulness and an absorption in the activity at hand work concentrates on goals, achievements, turning out products it's focused on the future but play is centered on the present and the joy of a process pleasurable in itself. When our play becomes chiefly concerned about winning or keeping rules or reaching an educational objective, it's no longer play, it's no longer fun. And one more quote for you, I'll leave this one with you. Chuck Swindoll writes, this is a great example of play. He writes, quote, The splinter in my thumb this morning brings back pleasant memories of yesterday's diversion." Cranking up the old radial arm saw in my garage, I wound up with two Pecky Cedar window box planters. I plunged into the project with the zeal of a paratrooper, ecstatic over the airborne sawdust, delighting over every angle, every nail, every hammer blow, even the feel of the wood and the scream of the saw. I caught myself thinking about nothing but the next cut, the acceleration. The sheer joy of doing something totally opposite of my career. Periodically, I looked up from the sawdust and smiled. In this terror-filled aspirin age, my saw and I gave each other wide, toothy grins. End quote. That's play. See, family, I think we need to learn how to play. I'll be honest with you. I don't think life needs to be horrible And I don't think that a lot of the trouble in our lives is because the devil is making our lives miserable. It's just the devil. A lot of times it's just you. (laughs) Meet the devil. (laughs) It's you not living well. Everything's falling apart because you are selfish and you're mean-spirited. You're jealous and envious. The reason God calls us out of all that stuff is not because he's so mad that you're jealous. The reason he wants you to not be jealous and envious is because he knows it destroys you. It destroys your capacity to live well. See, the the end game for God is not, he's not sitting up there waiting for you to be perfect. The end game for God is he wants you to help bring his kingdom into this world. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It isn't just for you to go to heaven. It's for you to bring heaven to earth and to bring life here. And you matter to him. The reason we come and worship here is because as we worship God, God messes with our envy or messes with our pride or messes with our the way we're uh, you know, addressing the passions of our lives. We do this so that we can walk out of here and work well, rest well, play well, live well, love well, glorify God. Thanks.